begin this morning, as we just begin sharing this time together, I really feel like God's setting the stage for us to take our eyes off of ourselves, take our eyes off of this world, and lift up our eyes to him. And the title of my message is Lift Up Your Eyes, which was not orchestrated. I mean, this was orchestrated ahead of time, but I really sense like that's what God, he's trying to set the stage for us this morning, that everything that we need is when we lift up our eyes. Amen. So this morning, I just want to remind everybody that we've concluded our series uh, with the seven letters to the churches with Pastor David and I, and they are still in Ukraine, but they are coming back this week. So they're starting their journey back home tomorrow. And if y'all remember, there was a long drive, about 17 hours from where they flew into Romania. They had to drive 17 hours across Ukraine, because there's no flights in Ukraine, to the Russian border, of all places, right? And then went to, I think it was four cities, maybe five cities along the Russian border to minister to the churches, to the pastors there. And the people were so grateful. All the updates that we've been getting, y'all hopefully have been getting some of those. Everybody, it, the, the churches are standing firm only. And these people are so grateful. Can't believe. They, they're there. They're stuck there. That's what they got. That was the hand that they were dealt, essentially, at this season. But they cannot believe that these people would leave a safe, comfortable place, like here, to come all the way to the other side of the world to, to endure that with them, to be there yeah. with them to encourage them in their situation. They, they're, they're flabbergasted by that. And that's the glory of God. That's how God gets glory. Because they're like, people don't do that. So where is this coming from? And all they can see is God's glory in that. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So continue to pray for them, please. Uh, like Antoine said, we have our groups kind of assigned to different days to really be fervent in our prayer for them. And as Pastor David said, when we were going through those letters to the churches, Jesus wants us to succeed as a church. He wants you to succeed. And that's what I was getting when, when we were hearing these words come out. It's like God is for you. He's for you. Some of us, you know, you might have experienced this. You might even be used to it. I hope not. But you're afraid, in a sense, to mess up because you're afraid of the consequences that might, God might just dump on you. Or there's just this hammer waiting to beat you up because you're not holy enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not focused enough, you're not disciplined enough. You know what I mean? It's like, man, it, it can be terrifying and, and wearying at times when we feel like that. But God is for you. Yeah. If he comes with his correction and his discipline, it's because he's for you. Yeah. If you choose the wrong master, you're going to hell. Yeah. Your life's destroyed. God doesn't want that for you. So if that's the path that you're going down, he's going to try to correct you and get you on the right path. Yeah. At the same time, he wants you to stack up heavenly treasure piled up high. Yeah. He's for you. So he may need to ex exhort us to encourage us to push us a little bit to stack those treasures up in heaven, which means doing the work of his kingdom. And, and then we get rewarded for that. So he wants us to receive all these good things. He's for us, and he's going to help us out along the way. But guess what? This is key to everything. Those rewards, that kingdom, that prize, everything God wants for us, he wants it for us, but he doesn't just want it just for you. He wants it for you and everybody around you. 
and he's put you in the middle of everybody that's around you to help them receive that also. Has anybody here ever been to New York City by any chance? We got a couple hands. One of the most fascinating places I've ever been. And it's kind of weird. I mean, it's almost too fascinating. You know, you come out of like the subway terminal and you hit the sidewalk and all of a sudden you get a burst of energy and you start walking faster and talking faster and, you know, there's just all this buzz all around you and you just get caught up in that. Well, I went there years ago. I may be like 2011 or something like that. And we were in Grand Central Station and there's people buzzing everywhere, like bees on a beehive, you know. It just looks like a blur, but then you kind of zone in on one person, one bee, for example, and you watch their little travel, and you just, it's interesting. Well, I look at people like that sometimes. I can remember sitting in Grand Central Station, and I'm looking at this sea of people, and I just lock on to one of them and just follow them through the crowd. And I'm so interested by that. I'm like, I wonder what they're like. I wonder what their personality's like, what their hobbies, what's their struggles in life, what are they, where are they going, where are they coming from, you know, do they have good relationships, do they not, you know, I just, what do they do for a living? I just wonder those things. But you know what's interesting about that is that's just looking at it from the natural eyes. I have natural experience, natural knowledge, and they have a natural existence right there in that natural body they're walking around in. And I'm thinking naturally, but God sees that person supernaturally. God sees that person eternally. God saw that person before they were even a seed in their mother's womb. Amen. Think about that. I'm following them through this little crowd, but God followed them even before they were in their mother's womb and still following them, and he loves them. Amen. He loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. And that's how he wants to help us see people. That's how he wants to help us see this world. Jesus knows every one of them by name, and he knows everything about them. And he created them, he died for them, and guess what he knows about them? That they are ripe for harvest. Amen. They're ripe. They're ripe for harvest. Amen. He sees people ripe, ready to be brought into the kingdom of God. When Jesus was here, he was extremely opportunistic about the harvest. He came on a mission from God. We get distracted pretty easily with the things in this world, and they're not all bad things. Some of them are really good things. But it's easy for us to get distracted from that visual, from that harvest that he sees all the time. And so he, he tries to help us to see that. Seeing the harvest doesn't come naturally to us. If you just kind of go with the flow and just whatever, I go to church now, whatever, you're not going to see it. you got to literally engage with God. He's got to engage with you, and he's got to help you to see it. And we need to be intentional about wanting to see it and trying to see that through our natural eyes, but into the spiritual realm, into the eternal, and look where he's telling us to look. And that's the title of the message this morning to you guys is, to us, to myself included, is to lift up your eyes. And that's going to start in chapter 4 of John with the story of the woman at the well. Are we familiar with this story? Have you all heard this story before? You've probably heard it plenty of times. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've, you've heard about the woman at the well. And it's a very important and pivotal story, really. And that's why we've heard so much about it. So for those of us 
who don't know, or it's been a while, I'll recap the story. Jesus and his disciples are traveling through the city of Samaria to go where they're going. And at the time, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They, they didn't like each other. So Jesus and the disciples, they're passing through. And they probably, maybe not them, but most Jews passing through the area, they're passing through as quickly as they can. You know, maybe we drive through a certain neighborhood or something and we just give it a little more gas because we don't want to be in there too long. We might feel uncomfortable or something. Samaria was like that for the Jews. That, is, that just wasn't where they wanted to be. But while they're traveling, the disciples take the exit, you know, maybe exit 41 into Samaria, and they got to go get some food because it's a long journey, right? So they're off getting food, and Jesus is hanging out by the gas station, by the well. They didn't have gas stations, just FYI. But he's hanging out by the well, and he's this, a Samaritan woman there at the well, and he asks her for a drink. And she can't believe it. She's like, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a man and I'm a woman. This is just culturally off. Like, what's going on here? Jesus was on a mission, right? He, he, he's on a mission. She's not used to that. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are talking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Whoa. Now we're... Now we're really getting strange here. What is going on? First, this guy's talking to me. Now he's talking about living water. And I'll never be thirsty again. And the way I kind of read it is she gets a little uh, sarcastic with that. Like, oh, give me some of that water. And I'll never have to come to this well again. And so Jesus kind of shuts it down. He says, go get your husband. She's like, well, I don't have a husband. And then he hits her with, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Wow. Now she's broken. Who am I talking to? He just said it. If you knew who you were talking to, now she knows she's talking to somebody that's not of this world. Yeah. And he actually revealed to her point blank that I am the Messiah. And then... While he's finishing his conversation with her, the disciples walk up. They're shocked to see Jesus talking to a woman. And she takes off into the village to go tell everybody, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. And then those people start coming to, streaming in from the village out to the well to come see Jesus. So that's what we're going to pick up here in John 4, 30 through 36. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest? But I say, wake up and look around. The, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. And you know those Samaritans came streaming in from the village, and they believed. They actually said in John 4.42, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. How incredible of a story is that? A pit stop in Samaria. 
take exit 41 to Samaria, and revival breaks out. And the disciples, coincidentally here, are just focused on getting some food. This is just a stop to get some food, and then we're back on the road. I have to imagine the disciples didn't want to hang around in Samaria. We know Jesus did, and we know Jesus was intentional about leading them into Samaria. But I have to imagine the disciples were like, let's go. Let's go to where we belong. You know, we don't belong in Samaria. But this is what I want to talk to us about this morning in three parts. If we're followers of Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus himself, God himself, has a set of expectations of the way things should be. And that's not a bad thing. Jesus does expect. He expects. And same as I expect my child to apologize to another child if they hit him or hurt him, even if it's on accident. You better say you're sorry. That is not allowed here. There are certain expectations in the Lukinovich household that you need to abide by. Now, I can't kick you out of my house. You're only three. <laughs> but in the kingdom of God, we're not forced to follow Jesus. We're invited to follow him. He can't force us to follow him. He's given us that free will to choose him. But he makes his way clear. He says, if you're going to follow me, this is what I expect. But he does it in such a loving and gentle and awesome way where you actually want to do it. You don't feel like you have to do it. Or if you don't do it, you're going to be in big trouble. If you really know what he's saying. You might have gotten some tainted version of it that made it come across like he's hanging over you with a bat just waiting for you to misstep or waiting for you to fall behind so he can just whack you over the head and catch up, fool. What you mean you weren't at church Sunday? Bah! Catch up, fool. He's not like that. He's not like that. He wants you to win. He wants you to succeed. He wants you right there with him in his kingdom with a big pile of treasure. Amen? So, but we do have to understand that all of his expectations are essentially summed up as come follow me. Do what I do. Care about what I care about. But you got to leave your way. That's what repentance is. Your way had nothing to do with what Jesus cares about. Your way wasn't seeing what he sees. Your way was just the natural, seeing what you see caring about what you care about in this earthly existence that we're in. Remember, we don't see the harvest naturally. It doesn't come natural to us. That's something that's spiritual that we can only experience and see and taste and feel in our reborn spirit that is a gift from God in our salvation. And even then, we have to grow in that. We have to grow in our ability to see what he sees. And, and have his heart. For what breaks his heart, that's what needs to break our heart. And that comes through relationship. That comes through time, seeking him for what he sees. Opening up our heart and asking him to show us what it is that we need to be focused on. Jesus challenged the disciples right away. But again, he does it in such a cool way. It's like, I don't think the disciples felt hurt or offended, but... He said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples cared about food at that moment. They were saying, Rabbi, eat something. As the people are streaming in from the village, ripe for harvest, the disciples are like, let's eat. 
Jesus is like, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. He's showing them his expectations. He's helping to shift their focus from what they're focused on in the natural sense to the kingdom sense, to the eternal, spiritual, unseen realm that they can't see naturally. He's helping them to see that. He's redirecting their focus by making his expectations clear. They were missing it. They weren't seeing it. But God, he's so patient, he's so kind. He wants us to succeed that he helps us by revealing to us what we need to see. He doesn't just expect and just hold it way up there. He reveals. And that's part two of what I want to share with you guys this morning is he reveals, he shows us what we need to see. As Christians, there's times in our lives where we need God to show us what it is that we need to see. Because look, we're like, you know, bump, bumping into stuff, like, I, ooh, ee, ah. And then it, and if we'll just pause at, at times, and the more the merrier, well, God, what do I need to see here in this situation? My boss is driving me crazy. What do I need to see here? I'm stuck in this situation. What do I need to see here? I can't get through to him. What do I need to see here? I'm so impatient. I'm so down. I'm so this. I'm so that. What do I need to see here? And he's so awesome to, to show you. He doesn't have to show us anything, but he wants you to succeed. He wants you to win. So he shows you because he wants you right there with him doing the same thing he's doing. He didn't even have to deal with the disciples. Yeah, y'all go over there and eat, and I'm just going to do this by myself. No. He politely, gently, patiently helped them to see what he saw. And you know what's interesting is we just got finished the series on the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. Every single one of those letters concludes with, does anybody know? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Every single letter, all seven of them, you can go through, I highlighted all seven of them. I'm like, yep, they're all there. I, knew, I, I had a suspicion, and sure enough, they were all there. I'm like, yes. That's a cool feeling if you've ever done any, discovered like a little nugget like that. That's a cool feeling. But he said that every time. And then um, I think in the New King James, it's like 37 times that that phrase is used in the, in the, in the word. So what he's saying is obviously we all have ears. So it's kind of like a two-part thing. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, we all have ears. So it's like, hey, important. If you have ears, pay attention. But the other part of it is we need to have spiritual ears to see beneath the situation, to see through it, to see behind the veil of that physical world that's in front of you that you can only sense with your five senses. There's something much bigger, much deeper, much more important on the other side of that thing. He who has ears, let him hear what's going on for real, but below the surface in the spiritual realm. Key in, tune in to what I'm saying. Tune in your spirit to what I'm saying. In Psalm 119, 18, it says, Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. It's one thing to see words on a page. It's another thing for God to reveal what those words mean and what you need to do with those words, how that applies to your life. It's so much of a deeper thing even than what the English language can capture, or the Spanish language, or Chinese, or any of them. His message to us is so much deeper and richer 
than even what we can communicate with vocal cords and eardrums. And he wants to reveal that to us. How awesome is that? But we got to want that. So when he said in John 4.35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. He tells them, wake up and look around. And I thought that was a really powerful statement that he said. It sounds like he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Wake up and look around. What do you mean wake up? We're awake. No, wake up spiritually. Wake up and look around. He's inviting them to another dimension, to where he is, where he's operating, where natural food is of little to no importance at this moment. Wake up and look around. Another key phrase I like, I love these kind of phrases, is come up here in the book of Revelations. The spirit and the bride say come. He's always inviting us into another dimension. In, from your lowly place where you're getting all beat up and angry and frustrated and patient and depressed and, and he's saying, come up here. Come up here. Now you see, come up here. This is so much greater. It's hard though, man. Huh? Isn't that hard sometimes? hard to disengage from the physical realm that we're a part of so intimately and to engage in another realm that's difficult for us to operate in, to see in, to, ah, we like doing things that we're good at. We pick up on things that we're good at easier. We, we pay attention to things that touch us. They get our attention easier. Versus something that might be kind of vague, fuzzy, we have a hard time grasping. It's easier for us to just focus on what I can see right here. Yeah, this, this is the problem that needs my attention because it's right here. I can see it. I can taste it. I can feel it. This is, this is it. The disciples are like, we need to eat. I'm hungry. You're hungry. We got the food. This is the priority, right? Jesus is saying, no, they are the priority. This harvest is the priority. And guess what? They're ripe for the picking. Again, we won't see this naturally. This won't come natural to you. You got to grow in this as a believer. You got to see God to help you to see these things. But we can get stuck on things that are going on in this life, things that are tangible. And let me remind y'all, just like the disciples cared about Jesus eating, that's important. If you don't feed your earthly body, it will die. And the Bible doesn't promote suicide, so we got to eat. So they weren't wrong saying, hey, Rabbi, eat something. That wasn't a bad thing, but there was something greater going on at the same time. Do you all see that? So there's things even in this life that are really important. Some are the most important things that we can deal with on a tangible level. But no matter how important something exists in this world, on the tangible level, it's not more important than the harvest. Yeah. 
It's not more important than the mission that Jesus was on. Think about that. You don't want to be the one saying, no, Jesus, you're wrong. The food's more important. We need to eat. He didn't say it wasn't important, but at that moment, there was something more important at stake. That's where the focus needed to be. That's what they needed help to see. But you've got to be intentional about this. You're not going to see it naturally. Okay? The soul of a person is much more vital, important, real, eternal, than even their physical well-being. But there's ways that we can minister to their physical well-being that gives us access to minister to their soul. So I'm not saying sacrifice the physical, throw it away, and just focus on the spiritual. Don't just chase people down with a bunch of words preaching at them all the time and not take the opportunity to minister to them physically and meet their need and show kindness. That gives you access to them. You know what takes access away is when you do the opposite in a sense. They may have a felt need. They may be looking for something. But you come with something distasteful to them. And they're like, "Uh, get away from me. I don't want you. I don't want that. But you don't understand. It's too late. I'm not listening to you anymore. And that cut my heart because for those of you who know me, I can get really passionate about things. Good things. I mean, they're all good things. I don't get passionate about the bad things. But sometimes they're not important. Sometimes they're really important. Like, Brandon, would you agree I can get a little overpassionate about like a new song that I've discovered or something like that? For those of you who know me, you've heard Bocelli come out of my mouth a hundred times. Or look up on YouTube this metal singer singing Amazing Grace. Humbre, I sent it to you. I sent it to everybody. I'm just like, when I get excited about something, I make sure everybody knows about it. I'm sorry. I apologize to everybody that I have annoyed with things like that. But <laughs> that's just part of who I am, I guess. I think there's some strengths and weaknesses to that personality. The, the strength of it is if I have something good and important to share, I'm going to get it out to you. So that's good. But then when it's not important, and nobody cares, and it's just annoying. So I apologize. It's, but it is awesome if any of y'all want to check out those two things. I just feel like I just made like a great accomplishment for my causes here. I, I promoted some songs anyway. Somebody's going to come back to me and say, you were right. And I'm like, yes, I knew I was right. And all these people that didn't care, they were wrong. <laughs> so that was being a little silly, but... On a serious note, um, you know we live in a crazy world. Y'all know that. And believe it or not, America's not even as crazy as other parts of the world. They're crazy. But no matter where you go in the world, from the beginning of time when Cain was killing his brother Abel to the end of the story in Revelations, the world is going to be crazy because it's lost. It's decaying. It's dying. It's broken. Sin is ravaging this land. And what Jesus didn't do is he didn't go around saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Y'all are wrong. He did, that's all he would have talked about. 
we wouldn't have heard another word come out of his mouth because he can see every single thing that's wrong, things we don't even see. And the things that he did call out as wrong, if you all notice, were the things that were more not as noticeable to the people. They were in that other dimension. The guys walking around with their robes, and they were so holy, and all the people thought they were so righteous. And Jesus was like, whitewashed tombs, nice and clean on the outside, dead man's bones on the inside. Whoa. But he wasn't going around saying, man, cursed is the prostitute who sells her body for money. I never heard that anywhere in the New Testament. But that doesn't disregard the fact that that's not a good thing to do, that that's, there is sin. I'm not saying that he said that he turned a blind eye to sin. I hope you all understand what I, what I mean by that. But we do tend to spend a lot of time focusing on exposing evils. And they're rightfully evil. And they're rightfully destroying people and destroying lives. And you know what that does to me personally? It makes me mad. And I get angry. And then I don't even know what to do with that anger. I'm stuck with it, I feel like. But then I feel like I'm like Jeremiah the prophet who just wept. Because it's like, what do I do? I'm telling them, they're not listening, and they're on their way to captivity. It's like hopeless. It just feels so hopeless. But what the Lord showed me is I was making such a big deal about issues. That was the first thing that came out of my mouth. Not that it wasn't important. Abortion is wrong. I was almost aborted. I wouldn't be here today if it went through. So it's not the only reason, but I am passionate about that issue. It's wrong. It makes my voting very simple. It's wrong. You can't murder people, period. And if your policies advocate for the murdering of people legally, I will not support you, period. I don't care how nice you are or any of that. I'd rather the mean guy that doesn't want abortion than the nice guy who does. That's me. And I don't want to come across too simplistic or sarcastic with that. I do respect people's opinions and thoughts and all of that. I really do. Because I don't know anything. But, um, but I was making certain issues. We can use abortion for an example. That was like almost an opening statement to people that I had never even, they didn't even know I was a Christian yet. Man, I'm missing an opportunity. I'm cutting people off to my life, to my mouth, to, to the treasure that I have inside of me, the Lord Jesus Christ, because I've made something less important than their soul become the first thing. The food was important. Hear me? but it wasn't more important than the harvest that Jesus saw. I'm not saying there's not an opportunity or a platform to use to fight certain battles and promote certain issues. There is. And Christians should be the ones doing it, of all the people in the world. But if we haven't even gotten to the point where we could share Christ with them and make him available to them, we should be very cautious about whatever else we would introduce that may cause them to cut us off before we ever get there. Now, if they want to bring it up, have at it. We could talk about this all day, debate about it, let's go. 
but maybe I should think twice about being the one introducing the subject if I haven't even gotten the gospel to this person yet. Yeah. It's priority. That's all. It doesn't mean that one is not important, but there's a priority that we have to work off of from the Spirit of God. God has a priority. Jesus had a priority. He really did. And he didn't body slam the disciples for their priorities being off. He just helped them to see the greater thing. He just helped them to see what was really at stake. Jesus was very opportunistic, and the disciples didn't see the opportunity. The soul of every single one of those people was much more valuable than even their physical wellness. And one other note I want to make with this Jesus reveals part. When he talked about the harvest being ripe, there's other places where he talks about that, how the harvest is ripe but the laborers are few. Some people in your life are at different levels of being ripe for harvest. You know, but in general, the harvest is ripe. In general, there's people all over the world and all around your life that are ripe for harvest. That doesn't mean every single person is ripe for harvest, and that's okay. We can pray for them. We can be patient with them until they get ripe. And instead of being discouraged, we can just say, well, I'm going to work on these folks while I wait for these folks to come along. You know, for those of you parents who have prodigals, which I was a prodigal. I feel like I was a poster boy for prodigal. I was like, born in church, told God, see you later. Went and got beat up by the world real good and then came crawling back to the feet of Jesus, and then he fell on me, hugged me, kissed me, and it was the most incredible thing. And that was in 2006, so we're uh, 12, no, ah, y'all got me all messed up. It's your fault, Ray. 17 years? <laughs> That's funny. So my point is that I totally lost my train of thought there. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, that's mean, huh? Why did I do that to myself? Anyway, certain people might not be ripe yet. Okay, so your prodigal might not be ripe yet. It's okay. It's okay. Let's focus on the ones who are ripe, and then they'll come around. You know what I mean? My parents, that's one thing. While I was out there, I got to give them this credit. I got to give them credit for a million things. But this one really stands out to me is while I was out there in the world, they never stopped doing what they were called to do. They never stopped going in the direction that they knew was right. They never came and cowered down to me or they never apologized for what was true and none of that. They just kept right on going and they kept growing and prospering, you know, spiritually and physically. And while I was over here in the world going in the wrong direction, going in the opposite direction, going downhill, they were going uphill. And, and it was like the distance was getting greater and greater, and they were always there as like a plumb line of sorts as to how far I had fallen. And they knew that I knew what I needed to know about being right with God and sin and all that. So they didn't constantly hound me about that and remind me about me being wrong. I knew I was wrong, and they knew I knew I was wrong. They just kept going. Yeah. And I knew they weren't going to stop for me. 
I knew they weren't going to stop for me. And I also knew I was on the wrong track. And eventually, I knew I needed to get back. But like Dave Ramsey says, the pain, nobody changes until the pain of same becomes greater than the pain of change. My same was really bad, and I didn't want that anymore. It was too painful. So I'm like, all right, Lord, will you still take me back? I'm, I'm ready. I was right. And he was right there when I was right. But we, as laborers, we need to be intentionally looking for ripe harvest. And we can't discount people. We can't do that. We can't let the devil win the argument of nobody wants God. Oh, you're in St. Tammany. Everybody's wealthy. Nobody wants God. That makes no sense on any level whatsoever. Everybody's not wealthy in St. Tammany. And even if they have physical money, they're destroyed internally. I mean, the suicide rate, I think, in St. Tammany might be the highest in Louisiana. And probably the divorce rate, you know, depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. People are hurting. They need help. They are ripe for the harvest. Ripe, 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 ripe. That's the truth. And the final part of this that I want to share with you guys is that Jesus paid. First, it was Jesus expects, Jesus reveals, and Jesus paid. That's why that's, that cross right there is, stands for eternity as a continual reminder to us what really matters. Because that's what mattered to him. How do we know? He gave it all for it. He gave it all. There was nothing left to give. You don't have to search and comb through the scriptures. The disciples didn't have to remember every word that he said to figure out what did Jesus really care about. All they had to do was look at the cross. That's what Jesus cared about. And then when they look through the words, they see all this stuff that's lesser than people going to hell, and there's not a whole lot of mention of that. It all revolved around if you only knew who you were speaking to and the gift that God has for you. You would ask me, and I would give you living water. He was God's gift to the world. That was his focus. And that same gift is in the world right now. And it's in you. And it's got to come out of you to the next person. And Jesus showed us how to do that. He redirected our focus to do that. He paid for the debt of all mankind, the debt of sin. In John 4.10, Jesus replied, I just said this, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are talking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Your neighbor, your co-worker, that person in line, your family member, this is what Jesus cares about. And he doesn't care about them as much in the physical as he does in the spiritual. He cares that they're going to hell without that gift from God. That's what he cares about, first and foremost. You know, if a firefighter shows up to a scene and somebody's bleeding out of their arm and the firefighter has a tourniquet in his back pocket, he's not going to come up and make an argument about, I I used the, the example of abortion earlier, He's not going to try to convince them about abortion being wrong, right? There's something more critical, more urgent in that moment. 
that they need. Hey, you're bleeding out. I have the tourniquet. You need tourniquet. Let's get this tourniquet on you. That's the most important thing. People are going to hell. That's way worse than somebody bleeding out. And they're dying every day. I mean, as fast as you can blink, people are leaving this earth. And every single one of them starting off going to hell. But God has come with a gift of eternal life to them. What could be more important than that? Nothing. But again, God helps us. He reveals this to us. He shows us this, and he leads it by example. So if everybody would just bow your head and close your eyes with me real quick. Eli, if you want to play some music, I'd appreciate it. Or, or Ray, you come on up. I'm sorry. What we want to do this morning is, y'all are going to stay right where you are this morning, but I want to encourage everybody here, and myself included, to repent. To repent to God, between you and God, for making anything, your own life, your family, your hobbies, your energy levels, issues, whatever it may be, greater than the harvest. Jesus is helping us to see that the harvest is ripe. We might, need, we might even need to repent for disagreeing with him. When he says the harvest is ripe, that means people are ripe for the picking right now. And they're accessible to you and I. So we can't make excuses that people just don't want Jesus. That's not true. We just have to be intentional about seeing them want Jesus. And, and Jesus will help us to see that if we want to. If we want to follow Jesus, this is what he's calling us to do. Again, we don't have to follow him. But he's made it clear to us that if we want to follow him, this is what it comes with. This is the direction that I'm heading in. This is the focus, is that cross. This is my focus. This is the most important thing. And we can do all kinds of good things. We can fight all kinds of good battles and win all kinds of incredible victories. Roe v. Wade came down in Jesus' name. That was incredible. We want to see more of that. But let's not let the harvest fall to the, to the wayside or to the back seat and people are going to hell while we're focused on other things. Father, we repent this morning, Lord God. We turn away from our natural eyes. We turn away from our natural thinking, only focused on what we can feel and taste and touch and see naturally, Lord. And we want to go your way, Lord God. We want to see what you see, Lord God. Help us to see our neighbor next door, Lord God, as a ripe harvest, Lord. 
Help us to see that person in line that rouses as someone who's ripe for harvest, Father. Help us to see that family member who never you never thought they'd ever come around. Help us to see that they're ripe for harvest, Lord God. Help us to put more of our focus like your focus was on the harvest. You said that the laborers are few, and that's because the laborers, the potential laborers, their focus is somewhere else. And you're calling laborers to come into the fields. You're calling them to look to the fields. You're saying, wake up and look around. And Holy Spirit, we hear you. Pray for this on an individual level for every person in this room and online, because I know we have people online. That you would move their heart, that you would show them in their heart what you see, Father. Shift our priorities around so that we can join you in your kingdom work, so that we can be by your side. so that we can win with you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Before I close, I want to give an invitation. If there's anybody in here that you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I would like to give you that opportunity this morning. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And if sin is our master, when we die and we leave this earth, then we're going to get the wages of that sin, which is death and separation from God and eternity in hell. But Jesus said, if you only knew who you were talking to and the gift that God has for you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus has made himself available with the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of your sin so that you can inherit eternal life with him in heaven. And that free gift is available for every person on this earth. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what your background is. If that's you right now, I'd like to invite you to come join me up here. I'd like to pray with you to give your life to Jesus. It's always exciting being in the house with you guys. We love you all so much, especially from Pastor David and Lori. They love you all so much. And I, I know they can't wait to be home, to be with everybody. And we can't wait to have them home. And so just be praying for them as they make their way back. And let's go get the harvest, y'all. Let's see it. We got to see it first. Next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what we're going to do with what we saw, what we do with what we see. This week, I should have clarified that, we're talking about seeing it. Next week, we're going to talk about doing it. Amen? Amen. Y'all have a good Sunday. Drive safe.